So we are back in Acts 20. Hopefully this, we should be able to wrap up Acts 20 today. A lot of you are like, yeah, right. Heard that before, right? <clears throat> we really stalled out pretty heavily here, rightfully so, into Paul's address, uh, his farewell to the Ephesian elders. Um, so Acts 20, I'm going to... Just for now, I'm going to read verses 31 through 35, and then we'll pick up the rest of the chapter at the, towards the end of the message. But Acts 20, starting in verse 31. Oh, I have outlines, by the way. <laughs> They're only helpful if you have them, right? Ah, there we go. All right. So as, as the outlines are going around, I will read this. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering... That night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build up you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have uh, coveted no one's silver, nor gold, or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must keep that the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. So first, we need to start with a little bit of review to just get us caught back up. Because why do we need to start with a review? What does verse 31 start with? Therefore. And so anytime you have a verse that starts with therefore, you need to ask, what is the therefore therefore? Right? And so why is he starting with therefore? What was ahead of that? And so... Uh, we need to understand just kind of a, a glimpse over his address to the Ephesian elders. The therefore is therefore because he set the example. When Paul was with them, he was committed to being fully involved in every aspect of ministry and the life uh, with them. He was one of them as he proclaimed the whole truth in humility even in the midst of trials and persecution. The therefore is there because the gospel is true. It is there because he is leaving them. This is his final face-to-face -face address with them. He's been there for three years ministering to them because prison awaits him. And so this realistically is most likely his last time seeing them. It has been prophesied, and the Holy Spirit bears witness with him that bonds and afflictions await for him. Even as far back as to his conversion, when God speaks to Ananias and tells him, I need you to go find a man named uh, Saul of Tarsus, and he says, this is the one that's persecuted Christians, and God says, you need to go talk to him because I need to show him how great of things he must suffer for my namesake. At Paul's calling, he was told that he was going to suffer 
great things. Paul knew this. Paul was marching on to this. This was going to come to fruition, and it seems like that time is coming. And so the, the therefore is there because not only is this him saying, this is goodbye, and I'm probably not going to see you again, he's also uh, pretty sure that this is the time where those bonds and afflictions are going to be waiting for him. And then because he has taught them, because he has taught them God's word, he did not withhold any of the truth from them. And so because he has given them the fullness of what they need in understanding their resources, God's word, and because the church will be attacked, they know that attack, people will attack the church. And so that is why, that is where 31 picks up. That is what the therefore is there for. And so he says once again, he makes se several warnings. Uh, so Paul's concluding his letter, and the first thing he says once again is be on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert. The tone of this letter is not that of a beatdown, but that of a great love and compassion. Paul points out how precious the church at Ephesus is to him in his uh, personal, intimate love for the elders. And so if you actually read this and just really consider what is being said, this is out of a, a deep love, care, concern. This is heartbreak for Paul. This isn't easy. You know, we can look at these people and think that they're calloused and you're just marching along very stoic, uh, like, like a soldier that shuts off emotions. <coughs> and I was thinking about this and I thought about how um, even my time in the military, when I was getting ready to go away on a deployment, uh, getting ready to go to Iraq, um, and I took the time and I wrote letters to my wife and my kids and they weren't to be opened unless I didn't come home, but there was a chance that I wouldn't come home. And so as I wrote these letters, I wanted to express my love for them. I wanted to express... Uh, how much they meant to me. I wanted to express that if I didn't make it home, that they still needed to lean on God. I had expectations that my children would seek to bring glory and honor to God in their lives. And so there was a challenge in that even, of just that encouragement, that pressing on, the, those, those words that what I, my greatest desire if I don't make it home, and even if I do make it home, my greatest desire is that you're seeking to bring glory and honor to God. And so it was very emotional to write those letters. I actually, I made it home, obviously, uh, and uh, I wouldn't let them read those letters because they were very emotional. And so those letters have disappeared. Uh, but uh, just thinking about walking through that, that must have been similar to how Paul was feeling towards the Ephesian elders. With such a deep love, he wanted to express to them what, uh, that he loved them, that he cared for them, 
the, the reason why he had invested in them, the reason why he was teaching them, and his greatest desire is that they would glorify God, that they would hold firmly to God's word, that they would guard themselves and they would guard the flock because they know that false teachers, savage wolves are going to come in. And false teachers, people, sheep will uh, rise up and try to lead others astray. And so this is the warning that Paul has given them. And this is the heart behind this. And so Paul doesn't shy away from saying hard things. Sometimes love does hard things. But love is still compassionate. Love is, is this, the overflow of the love of Christ in us, right? And so the world could have expressions of love. There's different expressions of love. The world can feel different ways about different things. Yet the love that desires the, the greatest love is that which would desire somebody else to look like Christ, to do whatever it takes for that person to look like Christ, right? And so that is only accomplished by you having the love of Christ inside you. And as that love of Christ is so overwhelming in your life that it overflows in your actions, in your words, in your thoughts, in your deeds, and that is how you express that love. And that is what Paul is doing in this letter. He is expression of love to the Ephesian elders as he's giving them what he very well considers his final words, his final charge to them. And first thing, one of the things he mentions is Paul's example. He mentions that he set the example. Paul points out that he spent three years night and day cautioning and gently reproving them as he points out that he was uh, emotional for them. He says, remember that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you in tears. Paul by all accounts, I mean, we, we probably could look at pictures of him and make judgments, but when you look at what Scripture says about him, Paul is a man. He is a godly man. But he is, in, in every aspect, what we would consider a manly man. And probably the greatest part of that is that he is a godly man. And he invests so much in them that he weeps tears over them. He's pouring his heart out. He is pouring his life out as an offering out of his love for them. And so he's doing hard things. He's giving them cautions, corrections. He's gently reproving them. And he's doing it in tears. Just an expression of that that outward sign of what is being going on inside as he is weeping over them, seeking to, to equip them for the works that God has given them. Paul has demonstrated his love for the elders. He's not just telling them to guard themselves in the flock. He's not just giving them warnings and guidelines. He's doing all of that as a friend and fellow laborer, he was there. I think back to military again. 
One of the things, uh, I was a platoon sergeant, and by all military rationale, I was not what you would call a great leader, right? You know, you you think about all the movies and stuff like that. Um, But uh, one thing that kept being mentioned to me by my leadership, by my uh, company commander, first sergeant was, I don't get it your men would follow you off of a cliff. They have loyalty to you that is just beyond our, our comprehension. And the reason why is one of my rules is I would never ask my men to do something I wasn't willing to do myself. I actually got in a lot of trouble because I was supposed to be stepping back and leading and I was busy getting down and doing and so I got in a lot. That's one of the reasons why they said it wasn't a great leader was because I'm supposed to be stepping back and managing things, and I'm always ended up getting involved where I see something that needs to be done, and I'm doing it, and I'm asking my soldier to do this nasty job, and I'm not willing to do it myself. That's not right. And so I jump in, and I try to do those things, right? And so I was in the trenches with them, and my soldiers, they were loyal to me. They did. They trusted me. They trusted me because anytime I would tell them that we needed to go and do something, I was usually right in front of them leading them to do it. That was Paul's example to the Ephesian elders. He's not telling them to do something. He hasn't demonstrated that he has done himself, right? He lived the example. Let me ask you, if I were to, uh, well, if, not even me, if, if somebody is telling you something that's hard, right? Something that may be confronting sin in your life. And it is somebody that uh, hasn't taken the time to get to know you. They really haven't said another word to you sideways. They just sit back from a distance and watch you, and they wait for you to goof up. And when you goof up, that's the only time they come and talk to you. Versus somebody that has at least made efforts to come and talk to you, to befriend you, has given you encouragement, said you've done well, that has demonstrated love to you, and they both say the same correction. Who are you most likely to take that correction from? The person that has demonstrated their love to you, that is invested in you, or the person that is really just walking around pointing out everything that's wrong with people? Most likely, you're going to take that from the person that's demonstrated their love for you. Teens, I'll, I'll just take a step to the side here for a minute out of this. Say, will you recognize and understand that for most of you, if not all of you, that is your parents? They are not the enemies. You think about this. They take their time, their money, their efforts, they shed tears over you, they invest in you, they pour out their love on you, they are not the enemies. Sometimes they tell you things you don't like. Would you look and see their time, their resources, they have clothed you, they have fed you, they have put a roof over your head, they have taken you on vacations, they have done things for you, they love you. They're not perfect. They may make mistakes, but haven't they demonstrated 
that they care about you and when they come to you and tell you something that seems contradictory to what you feel like is right, would you listen to them? Because they aren't intentionally trying to harm you. They care about you. They have wisdom. They have gone on before you. Would you consider that? This is the type of love that Paul is demonstrated to the church at Ephesus. This is the love that Paul has, has poured out as he's labored with them for three years, night and day. Paul has, has made this uh, very clear to them. He's reminding them that he has demonstrated his love. I'll also point out an example. This was, this was a while ago, quite a while ago. I think I've done better, but sometimes I, I need to do better. I had a friend come to me and ask me, said, uh, what have you done lately to let your wife know you adore her? And I had to think about that. I've been married to my wife for 25 years. Uh, I know she knows I love her, but what have I done to demonstrate that? What have I done to let her know I adore her? Intentional efforts to let her know that I adore her. Paul is reminding the elders, and he has demonstrated to them his love. He has let them know he adores them by the life that he has lived, by investing in them, by letting them see that they are important and valuable to him. And then he reminds them of God's provision. Trust in God's provision. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. And so he is commending them to God and to the word of his grace, which is the source that is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all the saints. This is the source, right? And so this is for loved ones. Oftentimes... It is easier to entrust our own lives into the hands of God than it is to entrust the people we love into God's hands. It shouldn't be this way because there's no better place for them to be than in God's hands. But yet, oftentimes it is. And I can say that as a parent. One of the worst feelings as a parent is when your child is hurt and you can't fix it. When your child is hurt and there is nothing you can do. When your spouse is hurt and you can't fix it. As men, I I don't know how many of you guys are this way. Hopefully a lot of you. But your strength can be your weakness too. As I'm a fix-it man. It's like when there's a problem, I want to fix it. When, When somebody comes to me, I've had to learn that even with my wife. Sometimes when she's telling me something... I, get, I would get frustrated because I don't know how to fix it. And it's like, you know what? Sometimes I don't, she doesn't want me to fix it. She just wants me to listen. 
So I need to just shut up and listen, right? But, but as a fix-it man, when, when your child is hurt and you don't have the ability to make it better, that's when you turn to God and you realize you should have turned to God a long time ago because you really didn't have control over the things you thought you had control of anyhow. The things you think you have control of, hold, hold with an open hand because it's really not you. You don't have control of that. And sometimes God will just violently shake the snow globe of your life to let you know. You're really not as in control as you think you are, and you really do need to depend on God. You can thank God for the skills and abilities he's given you to be able to fix things, but that's come from God. That didn't come from you. And so he, he's, he's telling them, I'm, I'm entrusting you into God's hands because there's no better place for you. It's never been me. It's been God. And that's the second part is for you. On the other hand, we can have people in our lives that God has used powerfully to be godly examples, to be those that we would run to, to have questions, to talk to, that would give us honest feedback. And that's good and right. But if God removes those people, you need to understand that it's God. Paul's about ready to be removed from the elders. And they're going to have to stand, not on their own, but on God, because it's always been God. Paul, in a way, is saying that it's never been me. God has been gracious to allow me to have the knowledge, have the ability to invest in you and pour in you, and it's good and right that I did. But understand, it's come from God. He is the one that builds you up and gives you the inheritance. It's never been a person. Many of you are blessed with good and godly parents. You understand they're not eternal. Someday you're going to have to stand on your own. Many of you have been blessed with mentors, people that have invested in your lives, tried to pour into your lives. Enjoy that. Soak every bit out of that. Give God the glory because it's God, not them. Don't lean on them. So many people that have walked away from the faith, that most of them, if they've truly walked away, were never even saved anyhow. However, their faith is shaken when a loved one passed away. If God is good, he wouldn't have taken my grandma. She was faithful. She went to church. She did this, that, and the other thing, and all these things. Understand, one, that's an improper view of what life on earth is versus life in eternity, because greatly rejoicing that grandma is now receiving the eternal reward for her faithfulness to God. But instead, when you view this earth as everything and somebody dies, you think it's a tragedy. I'm telling you, when I'm gone, it's okay to mourn, to grieve, but don't wish me back. I'm going to be with my Lord and Savior. That's the goal. That's the prize I'm running for doesn't matter how God would take me. This life is but a vapor. You understand, for a Christian, this life is the worst it's ever going to get because eternity with God is the reward. 
And for the unbeliever, this life is the best it's ever going to be because they are going to face eternal punishment. But understand that the source of your strength is not people. You, apart from God, cannot give people what they need. And the people God has given to you are instruments in his hands, being used by him for your good and his glory. But understand, you need to depend and lean on God. He is the one that gives you this. God's grace saves us, and God's grace sustains us. Paul is telling them. He is imploring them. You can tell this is an emotional time that he is pouring out into these people. And he's telling them that I have worked hard. I have demonstrated this to you because God is worthy. Because this is the mission that God has given me. And you now need to carry on without me. And you need to be on guard. You need to be on the alert. I love you. I have invested in you. Just like as it, in my letters as I'm writing, it's like, I am, if something happens to me when I'm in Iraq, I am not going to be able to be home to be able to protect my wife, to protect my kids. I, I did two deployments. I spent a total of two and a half years in Iraq away from my family. The reality hit hard when my wife and kids are home. And I had to learn and realize that I need to trust in God, trust them in God's hands. And to to say to them, just to to commend them over to God. It's like, God, they're in your hands. If you would take me, I know you're going to provide for them. Whether it would meet mean bringing another godly man into their lives, whether it would mean that you're going to equip my wife to be able to go it alone, I trust and I know that they've always been in your hands. They've always been in your control. This is the challenge he's given. And he tells them again, guard your hearts. One of the quickest ways to destroy a church is for an elder to disqualify himself. Part of guarding yourselves is guarding yourselves from your own lusts and desires. Paul points out to them that he, uh, the example he has lived before them. Paul is not a hypocrite in ministry, has asked uh, nor commanded anyone to do something that he himself was not willing to do. In verse 33, he says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. Yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you by working hard in this manner, you must uh, help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Don't covet. Keep free from the love of money, wealth, prosperity. It would have been easy for Paul uh, to covet others' wealth. To be discontent 
with what God has provided for him, to abuse his power or privilege for personal gain. It was really, a lot of times it was expected that the church would cover all of the needs of somebody like Paul as he comes and ministers to them. Paul didn't do that that way. He, one, he did not want to be indebted to anybody in that regard, but two, he didn't want to take advantage of anybody. He had the ability to work, and so he worked. Part of God's provision was giving Paul the ability to work. And so that is actually a provision that God has given, that ability to be able to work. Now, there are not saying that it's wrong to pay uh, pastors. I am quite grateful that that's not wrong because uh, I work full-time here at the church. Uh, my salary is paid by the church. It's a, a different sermon for a different time, and yet I do work hard for that. You know, Paul is not Joel Olstein or Benny Hinn that is trying to get a new jet um, you wouldn't have seen Paul with a Rolex uh, having his own broadcast program uh, in, in Israel, right? And he's not up there telling people that you need to give more money to the kingdom because I need a car to be able to get around on my missionary journeys better, right? Or I need a better boat. I, it, it would be great. See, Paul bummed rides on fishing vessels, to, to get around places, right? And so a lot of times what involved with bumming rides on fishing vessels was that you became a deckhand on those fishing vessels as you were traveling. You helped out on the ship, you paid them a little bit, but they transported you from place to place. How great would it have been if Paul just had his own ship? Then how much more efficient could he be, right? Efficient? Uh, no, maybe? I don't know. I'm working on my dad jokes for talent, no talent, okay? So uh, anyhow... Uh, these, these sort of things, there would be temptations, right? How much easier would it have been for Paul to be able to acquire some wealth, to be able to ease and aid his ministry so he could spend more time doing things? There were times where he actually called some others uh, of the, uh, the disciples to come. And as, as Paul had been demonstrating the working hard, there were times where he said, okay, you guys now need to be the breadwinners, and I need to spend more time because there is this need that needs my entire focus, right? And so there were times for those things. However, Paul was not leeching off of other people. His, his services weren't for sale, right? It wasn't... I'm giving you something great because I am so great, and so therefore you need to pay me a lot of money to do it. He needed money to be able to provide for himself, for those that were there, right? And so he worked hard for those provisions. He probably did receive some love offerings, right? His focus was to not be a leech on the church, but to build the church. Paul also did this because he loved well. Paul was speaking the truth in love with pure motives and demonstrating the genuine care for others enabled him to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ without hypocrisy. Paul's drive and desire was to be able to proclaim Christ in him crucified and to live a demonstrative life as to how others ought to conduct themselves. 
all that this Paul had done was following the example and instructions of Jesus. Jesus spoke the hard truths and did not change the gospel, but Jesus showed compassion and displayed genuine care for others. His life was lived in such a way that it gave validation uh, to the truth. And he lived it out. We are more likely to listen to somebody that has demonstrated a genuine love and care for us. And the Ephesians recognize this. In verse 36, it says, When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And when they, be, uh, and they began weeping aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the words which he spoke, that they would not see his face again. And they were uh, accompanying him or, uh, uh, yeah, accompanying him to this ship. And so as this is like literally he is walking to the boat as he has been telling them this. And he prays with them. And they are brought to tears because they understand the love that was demonstrated to them by this man. But it was the love of God flowing through him. And so... So we start to wrap up this section of uh, Acts 20. Again, I'll reference Revelations 2. We have to ask, how did they do? Revelation 2, 1 through 5, gives us a glimpse as to how the Ephesian church did. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. Sounds pretty good. Sounds like the Ephesian elders did a good job of guarding against false teaching. However, that doesn't end there. Verse 4 says, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I will come, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. They protected well, but they lost love. The church in Ephesus received a hearty commendation for their strong stance against false teaching, but they have lost their first love. They have grown cold in their zeal they first had when they were first believers, in a young church. The truth without love can be like a sledgehammer to the face. And love without truth is like a band-aid on cancer. 
We are to speak the truth in love. Christian love is the overflow of the love of Christ in us. If we forget where we have come from, we can grow cold in our love. The overwhelming understanding of God's love for us should allow us, there should be the heartbeat of our mission. Teens, return to the gospel often. Remember God's overwhelming grace in your life. Grace, what is grace? We've talked about this. It's been a while, though. What's, what's grace? Giving of something undeserved. God has given you something you don't deserve. And grace walks hand in hand with mercy. Mercy is withholding a punishment that you do deserve. In God's gift of salvation, we don't deserve it. And oftentimes, as we, as we grow in our Christian walk, we can grow cold in that. Think about when you first became saved. You think about a new believer, their zeal, they're on fire, their excitement. Sometimes it can even be convicting to somebody that's been a believer for a long time. And you're kind of like, you're making me look bad. You know what? You're making yourself look bad. I'm making myself look bad when I lose that zeal. He says, remember where you've fallen and go back to there. Remember where you lost that zeal, that passion, that love. Go back to the gospel often. Write your testimony down often. Write it out. Understanding and recognizing how little you deserve. Sometimes the more knowledge we gain, the more we start thinking we deserve things. Understanding that nothing we do is any good apart from Christ. Our righteousness is filthy rags. It is disgust before God. We are vile, as Paul talked about. We're on that broad road, the wide gate that leads to destruction. It's full of all sorts of different people. It's full of your murderers, the, the, the most heinous of people, and it's full of very moral, religious people that haven't met the need of Christ. The narrow gate is only through Christ. And it's not because of anything we've done. It's because God is gracious and God is merciful. And when you recognize that, when you come back to that and come back to that often and realize even the knowledge, the maturity, the strength God has given you is not in and of itself, that should revitalize your zeal for the Lord. And that should be so overwhelming in your life, that you can't contain it, that you don't want to contain it, that it overflows, that you have boldness to share the gospel with other people, that you have the boldness to confront a friend in love because that love is demonstrated, that you look at people as people, not just objects in your lives, and you see them as souls, as people created the image of God, all look different, different shapes, sizes, personalities, communication abilities, all different, but created in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made and have compassion on them. Stop judging them. Get down. Invest in their lives. When you invest in people's lives, it's messy. They're going to hurt you. You're going to hurt them. Learning how to forgive and ask for forgiveness builds love. Get in the trenches. Don't lose the zeal 
Don't be like the Ephesian church. They guarded well. I feel like we guard well. I feel like we love well. But if we're vulnerable, this would be where we're most vulnerable. Right here is losing our love, losing our zeal. Invest in people's lives. Demonstrate your love because it's the overflow of the love of Christ. And you really, in doing that, you earn the right to be a voice that speaks the truth of God's words into their lives. Would you do that? Please, if you've, if you've heard anything, remember this. Come back to the gospel often. It's not elementary as in something you learn in kindergarten and then just forget. It is foundational. Anything you else you build, if it's not built on the gospel, it's sinking sand. That's the solid foundation. That's the truth. And so make sure you're coming back to that, reminding yourself of that, building off of that. Let that be the motivation that drives all of the rest of your work. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you so much for your love, for your undeserved love. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for those that have gone before us, that have loved us, that have set the example. We're so grateful for that, Father. But I pray you would forgive us for oftentimes leaning on people or thinking we're in more control than we are, Father, instead of recognizing that you are the source of everything good. Father, I pray that you would help us to depend on you, lean on you. Father, that we would recognize your love to us and then we would love you and that that would be an overflow. Father, that we would be a church that your love is just bursting out of us, that it, it's not able to be contained, that it would overflow in our actions, in our thoughts, in our deeds, that we would be a good reflection of you, Father, that we would guard against the false teachings, Father, that we would know your word, we would love your truths, we would study, we would have good understanding, but Father, we would also love well. I pray that you would help us to know the balance, to understand that, and to be able to execute both well. Thank you for our teens. I pray that you would equip them for the work that you have for them to do. And Father, I just rejoice over the privilege I get to be able to be a part of watching them grow. And I just uh, look forward to seeing what it is that you will do with them. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.